We're going to start this new, year off, new Year's off a little bit differently than we have in the past. About a month ago, I had a man in the church come up to me and said, I'd really like to have opportunity to share my testimony with the congregation. And uh, I thought, boy, that sounds really good. You know, it's a good, be a good way to start off the new year. But we hadn't decided on a time yet. And the first thing that came to my mind was, well, let's, you know, do it on the first weekend of January. And I asked him, I said, when would you like to do this? And he said, uh, oh, after the holidays. And I said, how about the first week in January? And he goes, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> so that kind of just confirmed to me that we should do this this morning. So I don't want to really hesitate any longer, but I'm going to have Pat come on up. He wants to share his testimony with us this morning. And we'll see where it goes from there. <laughs> Do you mind using this, Pat? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I figured you were. <laughs> Everyone hear me? I am not perfect. I, I fell, and I am broken. That is why I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Amen? I try very hard to live a Christian life, and because of that, uh, I get asked about my faith all the time. Uh, and one of the questions that I get asked occasionally is, how do you know God is real? How can you prove that there is a God? And I thought about that. And you know what the proof is? Me. My story. I'm proof that God is real. And today I want to share my story with you, my proof with you that God is real. I was brought up in a church, uh, Episcopal Church in Moscow. Did Sunday school, uh, was an acolyte boy, got to carry the candle down, robes, the whole thing. Always upset because I never got to carry the cross because my older brother always got to carry the cross, right? Uh, did the hymnals. I've always believed in God. I always knew that there was a God but I haven't always had a relationship with him. I haven't always accepted him as my Lord and Savior. Right? And it's caused me some things. Right? I grew up with good parents, good family, middle-class America. I had brothers. I did sports. And I was a good student. But... I ruled the party life. I was that guy in high school that would do anything that everyone else wouldn't do, that wasn't stupid enough to do. Right? I was that guy. That's how I got my attention in high school. I was telling my wife one time we were talking about stories, and I was telling some of the stories about growing up, and all the crazy things that I did as a kid. I got in trouble a lot. Uh, I did dangerous things. And one of the things I was telling my wife, it's like we used to be driving in a car about 80 miles an hour, and I'd crawl out one window and into another. Why would you do that? Right? Because it brought me attention, right? And I'm still alive. If that's not proof that there isn't a God, 
because of some of the things I did, I don't know where the proof is. I'm still alive, and I didn't even have a relationship with him. I knew he was there, but I didn't have a relationship with him, but I'm still alive. He took care of me and watched out for me before I was even in a relationship with him. That's the God that we have. That's proof that there is a God. Debbie and I met when uh, working Special Olympics, my wife. Now, both of us were coming off of a rough relationship, so neither of us were really looking for a serious relationship. One thing I knew is she was smoking hot. Still is. And I liked being around her and enjoyed the company, enjoyed being around her. And what out? We found out we were pregnant. Right? So my solution, let's get married. Her response, uh, no. You told me no first time. And then, of course, I didn't really take that as a no. My I remember walking in the kitchen, mom and I are making the wedding list. She goes, I told you no. I, you didn't mean it. Right? So we got married. Very interesting wedding. It's in the basement of my house with the Mormon mayor who was our neighbor. Right? Got married. Unfortunately, uh, we lost that child. Uh, it was stillborn. Hardest thing I've ever gone through, losing a child, right? And I know that no one thought our marriage would last. Because why did we get married? We got married because she was pregnant. I remember my dad saying, there goes that marriage, right? Well, 30-plus years later, we're still going strong. Amen? Yeah. God had a plan, right? God had a plan. Amen. We tried unsuccessfully for five years to have kids. We even looked into adoption because we're too young and too broke. We couldn't adopt, which is crazy that you've got to have so much money to adopt. But uh, we tried to have kids, and we couldn't. And then we found ourselves pregnant again. And uh, James came along, was successful pregnant. James, who's here, uh, came along. But there was complications. James didn't breathe for the first two and a half hours of his life. They had to resuscitate. One nurse, she wouldn't trade off because there wasn't an infant care, intense, intensity care unit where we were. For two and a half hours, the same nurse. She nicknamed James Little Poop, but she didn't actually use the word poop, if you know what I mean. Well, they, got, they, they stabilized him and sent him to Butte, Montana. We were living in Dillon, Montana at the time. Sent him to Butte, Montana, where they had an infant intensive care unit. And our doctor came in and, and told us, don't get your hopes up. It, it does not look good. Yeah, we've already lost four along the way. The next day we drive up, we meet with the intensive care doctor, and she tells us there is no medical reason 
I, I can't explain it. But we're going to keep them overnight, and tomorrow you can take them home. Praise the Lord. Is that an answer? Right? And he's here. Healthy. That's proof that there's God right there. We struggled early in our marriage, um, mainly because of my drinking. Um, we moved to Middleton, where I took a, a coaching teach, high school teaching and coaching job. Um, my wife had found the Lord. Oh, well, before we went to Middleton, let me tell you this story. Before we went to Middleton. My wife had, had accepted Jesus as her Savior and had given her life to the Lord. I had not. Uh, I was coaching college wrestling, and, and uh, my life was coaching, winning, and, well, drinking, to be honest. You know, uh, we were going to get our son dedicated. Debbie wanted to get James dedicated. So I went to the church that she was attending. Now, remember, I was brought up in the Episcopalian, which is kind of is basically like a Catholic church, very formal, very formal church. So we get in there, and the first thing is, is the pastor walks out, and he's in street clothes. Now, my church, they, they have the robes. I'm going like, well, that's kind of strange. Then they start the music. Well, that, these aren't hymnals. And then I saw people, people got their hands in the air, waving around. I'm going, wow. And then some lady right across the aisle from gets on the floor and starts praying. But these people are crazy. I remember telling my mom about it. My mom says, you better watch your wallet at that church. <laughs> right? So, but even though I had seen this and my wife had given her life to the Lord. I was still struggling. I was still struggling. I wasn't willing to, to, to let go or give, give him control. We moved to Middleton where I got a teaching job, like I said. And uh, I was actually attending, we were attending this little church because it looked good in the community for me if I went to church as a teacher and coach, right? I was a Sunday goer. You know those people that go to church but aren't, you know, they just go to church because it looks good, right? And these guys offered to take me to a place, uh, a conference called Promise Keepers. Some of you might have heard it. It's a, it's a men's conference. Well, I was kind of in the doghouse with Debbie because I was out drinking with the coaches <laughs> too late. So I thought, That'd be a good way to get out of the doghouse. So I said, hey, I'll go. I also told Debbie, don't get your hopes up. You know. So I went there on Friday, Friday evening, walk in, Boise State Pavilion, 9,000 guys. 9,000 guys. And these, these Promise Keeper conventions have these huge ones, like tens of thousands of guys. But this was 9,000 guys. They can't get 9,000 guys in to watch a basketball game. And all walks of life, suits, long hair, 
bikers, uh, street clothes, sweats. I mean, every walk of life, 9,000 guys were there. I says, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something to this Christian thing, right? 9,000 guys. The next day, it was a two-day conference. The next day, we're sitting in the top tier of Boise State. We're way up there, and they do an altar call. I don't remember getting down to the floor. I, to this day, I don't remember getting down there. I remember standing there. This young man comes up to me and goes, can I help you? And I says, I don't know. He says, let's pray. And that day in front of 9,000 people, I gave my life to the Lord. Amen. Right? Amen. For 9,000 people. I'd like to tell you it was smooth sailing from there, but it's not. Right? Satan attacks you. Right? Now, I'm going to be wrong. I'm not saying it's bad to drink a beer or two and stuff. I'm not against that. But I wasn't drinking a beer or two. Every time I'd drink, I was drinking until intoxication. I wasn't drinking, just have a beer. And I was struggling with that. And it was, it was hurting our marriage. It was hurting kids. Uh, it became more important than my wife. It became more important than my kids. It became more important than my job. And one time I got, got home, I was out all night drinking. And I get home, I can't remember where my car is. I can't remember how I got home. Right? Right? I, and I had to call in sick at work. So I asked my wife, I says, can you come in, in the bedroom, please? And you grudgingly did because you could imagine she wasn't very happy with me. I had tried to quit drinking several times. I knew it was a problem, but I had tried to quit drinking. Right? We prayed. We prayed for God's help. And for over a year, I didn't touch a drop of liquor. Only because of the grace of God. Because I couldn't do it on my own. Things got a lot better then. We found a church, right? Great little community church where they have great worship music. I learned that the music was about worship, not just reading something out of a, a, a book, right? We had a pastor, Pastor West, that had a heart of God, that spoke with the heart of God and sometimes got emotional during his his uh, teachings. Boy, does that sound familiar? Right? Heart of God. I got involved with Fellowship of Christian Athletes with another wrestling coach that helped guide me through my Christian walk. My relationship with my wife grew. My relationship with my children grew. I learned that the gifts that God gave me with teaching and coaching could become a platform for Jesus, you know, coaching 
I coached for years because I love to win. I'm very competitive. Now I coach for the relationships that I get to build and foster with the kids. And that's God. My mom's health, we've we've always wanted a big family. I came from a family of four. Debbie came from a bigger family. We've always kind of wanted a bigger family, but as you know, we struggled having kids. And and after James, they told us, you know, you're probably not going to have chances to have more kids. But we felt so blessed that we had one because we weren't sure if we were going to have any. Right? So we settled in. We're okay. We have our one. Right? God has plans. Right? Right? My mom's health had been deteriorating, so we were looking for jobs up in North Idaho. We were living in Middleton, Idaho, down in southern Idaho. So we wanted to come up and be closer to family. And I tell you what, I had this one job. I thought it was for sure. I had the job. My superintendent in Middleton came in and says, have they offered you the job yet? Come on, let's go. I need to open your job. He even thought that I had the job. I didn't get it. Boy, was I angry because I had prayed for it. Please give me this job. I want to get up north with my family. Right? I want this job. Didn't get it. Right? I was so angry. But God was teaching me a lesson. Right? A few months later, we get a call. Debbie ran a daycare and had kids in it. We had these three kids in our daycare. Got a call and says, you either come up and pick these three kids up and take them, or I'm calling uh, CPS, and I'm putting them on the curb and letting CPS pick them up and send them into foster care. We get that call. We go and pick up those kids, right? Mark, David, and Maya. Right? We pick them up, and they become part of our family. Now we're four. Right? What a blessing. Now, here's the key. If I would have taken the job, we would not have got that call because we would have been up here. God taught me a lesson. Right? There's never a prayer that I've prayed that hasn't been answered. I tell this to people all the time. Every prayer that I have prayed has been answered. In his time, in his way, and it's always been good for me and my family, right? So we changed our prayers. We used to pray for things. Now we put the prayer on God and ask his will, that your will be done. And he's guided us through many things with that. Well, we moved to Moscow, and we picked up Logan. Then we moved to Potlatch, and we picked up Jordan. Not moving anymore. <laughs> All right? We got a house full. All right? Now we have, yeah, now we have our family. Our big family that we prayed for and wanted for years, we have it. In God's time, in God's way, that's proof that there's a God, right? Kicker is, is I, you know, I did receive a job. 
um, in, in a school district where my parents actually lived and, and it was actually a harder job to get, but I got it and we came up here and, and uh, my wife did the in-home care until my parents passed away, which was a blessing and my, you know, my parents got to know my grandkids and, and, and it was such a blessing for us to do that, you know. So that, that was just a blessing. So proof, I'm still alive. <laughs> he defeated Satan for me. I truly drink, believe that my drinking issue was not the alcohol. I don't believe the alcohol. I don't mind having a beer now. But because I had Satan and I didn't have Jesus in, I couldn't control it. And the only way I could control it, the only way that I could do it is if Satan was defeated and and God defeated Satan for me. That's proof. He brought the family to me, brought all my kids, which I'm super proud of. And I enjoy watching them grow, and I love them very much. Proof is, is what he's done to my marriage. Our marriage is stronger now than it's ever been. Our love grows every day. It's such a wonderful experience. Proof is that he meets all our needs. Uh, he's always met financial needs. I hear it in the church with stories too. I did one story. We were hurting one time financially, as most people struggle sometimes, and we couldn't make rent. The garbage man shows up. Garbage man. You know, the guy you just wave to. With the envelope full of $650, says, God told me to give you this. You know how much rent was? $650. How'd he know? He didn't. God did. He'd take care of our physical needs. He's taking care of our emotional needs. There's no stronger proof than that. I am not a perfect Christian. I mess up. But I believe in him and put my faith in him and have developed a relationship with him. And because of that, he's given me grace, forgiveness, love, and he has blessed me. There is no stronger proof than that. God bless. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that you're not perfect, Pat. Make me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, probably what you heard this morning probably represents a lot of our lives. You know, maybe not exactly the same steps, but, you know, many of us struggled in life and knew about God, you know, and it probably took us a while to figure out that we really needed him instead of just needed to have an image of who he was. We needed to have him in our hearts. Hallelujah. Uh, just just want to thank you, Pat. That was so good. A good way to start out the new year. Kind of just gets us to realize that we're all in this together. Hallelujah. I want to read a scripture uh, 
As I always do, I like to start out the new year with kind of a theme for the year, as I feel like the Lord has given us. I just want to talk, you know, the Lord has been speaking to me about kind of what Eunice was talking about, waiting on the Lord, but kind of in a different aspect. And uh, really what he's saying to me is slow down. Don't stop, just slow down. Sometimes I think, you know, we as people get so anxious about things that we just begin to run. And I, I was just reminded of a story in the Old Testament this morning as I was sitting and listening, thinking about things. And there was, uh, back in the old days, they used to have runners. And uh, they would go and they would run with a message for the king or whoever it was for. Well, there was, I believe what the story was, was uh, David's son Absalom had been killed. And there was a young man there that wanted to run. And he was just anxious to run. And the, the guy said, no, you're, you know, it's not time for you to run yet. And he said, I got to run. I got to run. Let me run. So, you know, the guy said, okay, go ahead. So then there was another runner that was there that was supposed to be the runner. And he had the message. And they took off together. Well, the younger guy outran him. And uh, when they got to the king, he got to the king. You know, the king says, well, what's your message? And he goes, uh, I don't know. I don't have a message. You know, we need to make sure that we have a message that we're listening to what God is telling us and go according to his plan and his purpose. Hallelujah. I want to just read a few scriptures this morning out of uh, Matthew 24 and 25, chapter 24 and 25. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. When God returns, he's going to be looking for faithful servants. It goes on to talk about, you know, well, what happens if that servant begins to think that his Lord's not returning and begins to behave badly? It says, you know, in 51, the Lord shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And then in 25, it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them are wise and five are foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps but had no oil in them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. That's kind of where we're at. The bridegroom is tarrying. Jesus has not returned yet. We're kind of just holding, hanging in there, waiting for his return. In verse 6 it says, And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go you out to meet him. And I don't know how many of you that were here, or Friday night, excuse me, heard this in the prayer that I prayed, but God is speaking to us to wake up. He's nudging us. Wake up. It's time. He's not scolding us that we're slumbering too much, that we're lazy. He's saying, wake up, church. Wake up. It's midnight. The bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Go out to meet him. But again, I want to get back to the, the point. Don't hurry. Don't hurry. I just about said something this morning when we were calling for a runner and we were telling her to speed up, and I was just thinking, no, slow down. Take your time. That's what God is speaking to us. Slow down. Take your time. 
You know, God's got an appointed time for everything. All we have to do is be on time for that appointment. We don't want to run ahead. You'll get lost if you run ahead. We want to follow he that is leading us. That's Jesus Christ. So I want to just encourage you as we begin this new year, slow down. Slow down. You know, I don't know how this year is going to compare with last year. To me, they're all the same. It's just a pointing forward to the fact that the bridegroom's coming. It's time for us to wake up. Hallelujah. Again, I want to just thank you, Pat, for sharing with us this morning. Lord, I just want to thank you that as we enter this new year, Lord, you have placed a responsibility upon us, Lord, to follow you. Hallelujah, Lord, to slow down and listen, but Lord, to wake up. You've just begin to stir us and to wake us up. And I think in the morning when I was a child, Lord, and folks would come in and wake us up, Lord, I wasn't ready to run when I woke up, usually. It depended on what was set before me for the day. But, Father, most of the time it takes us a while to wake up and get going and figure out where we're heading. And I think that's where we're at, Lord. We're wait we need to wake up in you. But, Lord, to begin to think about what your desire is for us for the day and where we are going as a church Lord, I thank you for the people that are here this morning. Lord, I, I, as we sang, Lord, you talked about how that you were touching every heart, touching every life, healing every heart. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you have touched every heart this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I just praise you and give you honor. Go with us in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed this morning.